Welcome to Lighting Your Way, a podcast featuring exciting, hilarious, heartbreaking, terrifying, and joyful stories of real nurse advocates helping real patients get the best health care. Hi, I'm Nurse Betty Long. Each week, I and one of my nurse colleagues at Guardian Nurses will take you behind the curtain to help you better navigate the healthcare system when you or a loved one is sick or injured. Violence against healthcare workers has reached epidemic proportions. According to a study from the Occupational Health and Safety Administration, also known as OSHA, healthcare workers account for approximately 50% of all victims of workplace violence. Nurses often take the brunt since they are the ones on the front lines, the ones who interact most with patients and their families. While many assaults do not cause serious injuries, some nurses have gotten broken bones, black eyes, and other injuries. In rare cases, nurses have also been killed. In April 2019, Lynn Truxillo, a 56-year-old nurse at a hospital in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, saved another nurse by pulling away a patient who was attacking her. The man turned on Truxillo, grabbed her by the neck, and struck her head on a desk. She died several days later from complications related to that assault. Doctors are attacked as well, but according to statistics from the Emergency Nurses Association, less so than nurses. Among ER doctors, 47% reported having been physically assaulted on the job, compared to 70% of ER nurses. Patients have cursed, yelled, grabbed, pushed, and verbally threatened to kill nurses. According to one ER colleague, oh, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Nurses and their aides are there 24 hours a day, while doctors' time with patients is limited. They come in to consult and they leave. According to one nurse's union study, nurses and nurses' aides are five times more likely than any other type of worker in any industry to be victims of workplace violence. While legend has it that violence in the workplace happened just to ER nurses and psychiatric nurses, we are now seeing more widespread violence on medical surgical units, labor and delivery units, and even outpatient clinics. Quite frankly, it's happening everywhere healthcare is delivered. We talk today about this sobering topic with Dr. Michelle Conley, Chief Nursing Officer at Jefferson Health Northeast in Philadelphia. Good morning, Michelle Conley. Thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join me uh, on the Lighting Your Way podcast. I am very much looking forward to our conversation. Thank you. Um, we are, we're talking today about violence against nurses in the workplace, which I believe is uh, not just a very timely topic, but also critically important. Um, a lot of lay people uh, don't know that nurses are often the victims of violence. Um, when I was preparing to talk with you and preparing for the podcast, I asked a friend uh, if they were aware of the prevalence of violence. And, and she said, well, who would want to hurt a nurse? So I, I think that might be a common misconception. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I think the data bears that out. Okay, so before we do a deeper dive uh, into the topic, Michelle, tell me a little bit about you. You uh, grew up in Philly, right? I did. I, you know, born and raised in Philadelphia. Um, grew up at um, a neighborhood called Harrogate. Went to, to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school. 
um, proud little flower graduate, went to nursing school here in Philadelphia, uh, and have spent my career in um, various medical facilities in Philadelphia. So um, what, what you went to nursing school at Frankfurt Hospital, I think? I did. I um, attended, it was, I graduated from high school in 1981. Um, and Good immediately- you admit that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Loud and proud. I, I, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> um, but went, uh, you know, directly into to a nursing program. Um, at the time, it was the Frankfurt Hospital School of Nursing. And, and back at, at that point in the 80s, there were, um, you know, a fair amount of um, hospital-based nursing programs in Philadelphia. Um, and I attended uh, the Frankfurt Hospital School of Nursing, which actually is the school of nursing that is a you know was affiliated with uh, the institution that I now work at. And uh, you have a great story about when, when we've when we've talked about how we go into how why we went into nursing. You have a pretty pretty good story. Do you want to share that? Um, I don't know <laughs> if it's a good story, but it's an honest story. It's an honest story. Um. You know, I mean, I graduated from high school. I was 17 years old. Um, you know, neither of my parents attended college. Um, so I didn't have, um, you know, a vast experience with, you know, what, what college education could look like or careers that you could sort of pursue. Um, so I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I know a lot of nurses tell stories about how, you know, they wanted to be a nurse from the time, you know, they took care of their sick grandmother or, you know, saw, saw something that compelled them. Um, I didn't have any such experience. <laughs> I, um, I really just sort of didn't know what to do with myself. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I went to, to high school at Little, in Little Flower, at Little Flower and we would frequently, you know, ride public transportation after school to whatever we were doing. And I uh, one day took the, the Frankfurt L home with a friend of mine and we got off at the end of the line at Bridge and Pratt and, you know, she went home and I was sort of making my way back to the, to the L to go back home. And um, I passed the school of nursing and sort of wandered in and, you know, um, met the recruiter was sitting there at the time, you know, this was behind the hospital. It was a big, large building behind the hospital. Um, you know, the recruiter was there and I started to talk to her and I said, you know, this is my SAT scores. And, you know, and she's like, well, you know, based on what you're telling me, you meet all the criteria to go to school here. And I said, okay. <laughs> so that, that was really how I, uh, I wound up going to nursing school, which is a terrible reason to, but, um, you well, know, I, I don't know. You, you've done well. And I, I think back on it often. And I think, you know, dear God, like what, you know, that's, if, if you know, you talk to, you know, people now are, people thinking about going to school and that was their rationale for attending any program you'd probably try to you know talk them through a little bit <laughs> but it really I, I feel incredibly grateful and lucky that I walked down Penn Street that day and yeah. you know kind of didn't know any better because I, yeah. you know it's the, it's a career that um, has served me well and I think really um, you know like I said I was 17 when I went to to nursing school in 20 when I graduated as a nurse. Right. So I think it really not only sort of has been a, a wonderful career, but really informed um, 
who I became as a person because I, you know, was immersed in the profession at such a um, impressionable time of, you know, all of our lives that I really think, um, you know, it really helped form my adult person. So I, I'm incredibly grateful for whatever, um, you know, <laughs> whatever kismet God or divine is, intervention yeah, or whatever it is right. that marched me down Penn Street that day when I was 17 years old. Thank God the recruiter was there when you walked in. I know, it just happened. I mean, it was, it's, it's, a, it's a really is a very crazy story, but it's, it really is true. <laughs> Good story. That's why I said good story. <laughs> so after nursing school, you uh, went to where? What was your first job? So, you know, like I said, I was, I, I graduated, I was 20 years old, um, graduated from nursing school. And, and, you know, what I have to say was really a, a very comprehensive program at the time. Um, you know, nursing education was uh, configured differently than, than it is now, whereby the program I attended you actually did a focused semester on various kinds of nursing. So, you know, I spent a semester in the operating room and I spent a semester in critical care and in the emergency department and, you know, um, in, in, in specialties like women's and children's and uh, rehab and um, psychiatry. So, you know, we really got exposed to what, what the practice of nursing looked like uh, post post graduation. So when I graduated, um, I I had an, an amazingly good experience, which I know a lot of people report the the complete opposite of that uh, in my mental health um, rotation, and and really wanted to try that out. So literally went right into mental health uh, nursing out of nursing school uh, and worked at Friends Hospital in the eighties. For a few years and then uh, went to the Penn system and spent really the next 20 years in various positions uh, in um, mental health crisis care within within the city of Philadelphia, uh, residential treatment care, um, taking care of mentally ill adults um, based in the community, which was a fascinating experience. And and women's and children's. I also spent, um, you know, a good portion of my time there. Uh, managing the labor and delivery unit at, at Pennsylvania Hospital uh, and uh, serving as the director for the women's health division and the division of psychiatry there. So, you know, really had a, um, as a clinical nurse, uh, interesting, I think, um, career trajectory and lots of really um, different experiences than many other people have. Thing. Yeah, and, and I think, and then you went to leader into nursing leadership at uh, what was then, I guess, Aria. Uh, yeah, so I I, I had held um, you know manager positions and director positions at at Pennsylvania Hospital, and then was the associate chief nursing officer there. Uh, and when I left there, came to what, as you indicated, Betty Aria Health uh, in two thousand and. 11 okay. um, as the chief nursing officer. And that's the position I'm in now. Um, however, we are now Jefferson Health Northeast because we merged with Jefferson several years ago. So okay. we are part of the um, larger Jefferson system. So Michelle, you've been the chief nursing officer uh, since 2011, as you said. And in those 10 years, um, let's talk about our topic now, the violence against nurses in the workplace. Um, in that time frame, have you seen a change? 
Yes, I think, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I think, you know, as, as a long-term nurse, you know, and, and a nurse who worked in settings where, you know, violence isn't, is, is certainly can be prevalent, um, I do think that we've seen uh, some changes, and I think the data supports, um, you know, that violence just in general in our society uh, is is on the uptick and is rising and, you know, I think workplace violence, you know, you don't have to do much but watch the news um, to see that, you know, violence in workplaces is on the rise as well. I think um, what's interesting and what I learned was that, you know, if, if you look at OSHA data, which is, you know, the safety data for workplaces, right. um, you know, of all workplace violence, about 50% of OSHA's data says that that violence takes place in healthcare environments. And I wow. think for most people, that's kind of a shocking wow. statistic because yeah, sure. we don't think of hospitals or places where you receive healthcare as places that, um, you know, see a lot of violence. But um, I, I think that's, that's a pretty compelling number uh, and a pretty compelling statistic to make us really uh, sit up and take a better look at what's going on in our in our healthcare settings. Yeah, I mean, most folks would probably say that they would want to feel safe in a hospital. <laughs> the patients might feel safe, but perhaps the nurses and doctors don't, or techs as well. Yeah, I think it. I think it depends. You know, I it, there's, you know, when you talk to people who provide healthcare, I I don't know that there's a real appreciation. Um, for what violence means in healthcare. I think we take it for granted a little bit. Okay. Uh, and um, many people view it as sort of just part of the job. Um, and, and, and people will say that, you know, very, very candidly when, when you talk and talk to people about, you know, what their experience has been with any form of violence uh, within the context of their, their job. Um, it's just sort of assumed that that kind of goes with the territory. And I think, you know, that that mindset and that that paradigm um, needs to shift as well. We, we can't just sort of um, shrug it off as, well, this is just part of our job. I think we have to um, sort of position the topic and think about it in a way that um, it's something that we want to avoid at all costs and mitigate in any way we can. Right. And I think that, again, the data supports that when you put very structured strategies in place that you can do just that. Right. And I think there's also a misconception, you and I have talked about this before, that it, the violence uh, coming to nurses and doctors and techs is coming mostly in the emergency room. And that bears out, but I think that your, your experience as a chief nurse would, would tell otherwise. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, right, the, the emergency department is, you know, ripe for that, you know, as emergency care providers, um, you know, those clinicians are working with people coming immediately from wherever they're coming from, right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's home, whether it's a crime scene, whether it's an accident, you know, they, they leave that setting and are immediately in the healthcare setting, mm -hmm. whereby in other parts of hospitals, at least, you know, people kind of make their way to you either electively because they're coming in to have surgery or, some other kind of procedure or, you know, after being in the emergency department and stabilized somewhat. Um, so, yes, you definitely see um, 
different kinds of violence and, and some increased numbers in emergency departments and, and psychiatric settings, but um, you know, med surge units and even critical care units aren't without violence as well. So it really is, um, it, it is a, a phenomenon that we see throughout our hospitals, not just in those very specific departments. Wow. So it does look different in different places. Wow. Yeah. Do you have a mental health unit? We do not in our in in the hospitals that I have responsibility for, but Jefferson uh, has a mental health unit um, at the at the University Hospital as well as in New Jersey and Abington. But we do not have one here. Okay. Um, and so a couple of years ago, you told me about a program that you and uh, another colleague at the hospital created. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? It was a uh, it was designed, I think, because you were hearing from nurses in the ER that there was more violence. Tell me about that. Yeah, it, it, so you know, we we kind of coined our project after after the fact, you know, Operation Safe Workplace, because um, you know the inner the information came to me quite anecdotally, um, which I think is part of the problem. Um, you know. It, it was not highlighted in any way in the data or in our safety committee or in our environment of care that we had, you know, a, a, an issue with this or something that maybe would have needed more attention. Uh, and, and literally, I just heard a, a story one day um, about a nurse who had been assaulted in the emergency department and was assaulted pretty significantly. She was um, caring for a patient, and when she leaned across the patient, um, the, the patient sort of took her head in a headlock with her mm. leg and mm. kicked her um, repeatedly oh. in the head. Um, so needless to say, that's, in, in my mind, thinking a pretty significant assault, regardless of where it happened. Right. Um, so I learned about it, and I went to the emergency department to sort of see what was going on, just, you know, to express my concern and see, if, you know, if I could be helpful. Uh, and, and what I found at the time um, was that no one really seemed all that phased by it. Um, you know, the, the nurse, I, you know, I talked to the, who was the person who was the charge nurse at the time, and, you know, the, the nurse who had been assaulted had, you know, was being cared for, so I didn't speak to her right away. Um, but no one in the immediate environment really was as, as sort of horrified by it as I was. And... Um, and that sort of was the, the, the tipping point, I think, for me to, to start to look and take a deeper dive into, um, you know, what did that look like for us here and, and you know, what, what was the magnitude of our issue because mm. what that event told me was that people were likely not reporting it. Um, people were sort of just taking for granted that that was wow. part of um, their day and, uh, we may not completely understand all of the magnitude of, of the issue of workplace violence within our own institution. So that really was the, the, the thing that, that really um, kind of triggered us to, 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 to start to take a, a, a deeper look. Um, and what I found at the time really was that there was no real one-stop shop where I could go look as, you know, the, the nurse leader to say, do I have a problem with this? How many nurses do I have that are being injured each year? Um, and I really started to just pull pull information from different sources. So I went to our, um, our event reporting system and asked them to kind of run reports for me out of that that would 
give me the information I was looking for. I went and talked to the security officers and just asked to look at their logs, you know, to go through the things that they logged in terms of their workday documentation to try and get a sense of, you know, where and when were these things happening and what were the circumstances. Right. Um, we looked at our workers' comp data, right, because that will, you know, I, I, I I suspected that that would tell me if people were seriously injured enough that they needed to be out of work, right. that I could sort of go back and um, kind of trace that data. And that's really where we started, um, was really looking at all those kind of um, data points, if you will, that you can pull out of a hospital. Now, you know, those things are tracked better now than they used to be, so it would be a little simpler and easier. However, I think, you know, what what we found at the time was that it really provided us with a much richer um, story, if you will, as to what was informing that than any one data point did. Yeah, and to your point earlier, is that if it's underreported, then, right. then you're you're kind of blindly trying to set up a program, but you don't think maybe there's five people, maybe there's 500 people. Well, and if, right, if people aren't, and people don't report for a million reasons, right? They don't have time, you know, they, you know, a lot of times, you know, nurses will wait till the end of the shift to put something in the the um, event reporting system that you know is a that they think is event report worthy. Um, sometimes people would be embarrassed. To be honest, you know, there were people who didn't want to admit that they had been assaulted because they saw that as some kind of um, you know personal failing per se. Um, there were there were a multitude of reasons that we found that. Um, it was underreported. And I think just the mere fact of talking about it right. and asking people to report it right. um, made a big difference for us. We definitely saw once we started to launch different pieces of our program that people were much more willing to report it once we kind of took any stigma away uh, and asked them to do it. Um, we started to see much more of that. And did you define, because I know that when you look at the definition of workplace violence, you know, it could be anything like a patient yelling and verbally abusing you versus the physically abuse, right? So when somebody De cursing, Definitely. And, you know, I think when you, again, when you think about it conceptually, you know, violence isn't just physical. I think a lot of times we um, sort of when we think about it, we think about violence as someone sort of physically harming another person, but, um, you know, uh, emotional violence or, um, you know, people really, uh, you know, verbally assaulting staff is also a very large issue in our hospitals. Um, you know, people um, who come in for, for a multitude of reasons and with a multitude of, um, you know, cognitive or, um, you know, physical issues, you know, can, can behave that way at times. Uh, but I think as we've also um, seen kind of shifts in just basic human civility and, um, you know, respect for other individuals, we've definitely seen an uptick in both um, the physical as well as the, the verbal um, assaults that we, we encounter on, a, on any given day. Right. You're not, the hospital is not a, a um, the hospital is not, yeah. I don't know if this is what you're trying to say, but I think that, you know, there was a, probably a time where hospitals, not unlike schools, were kind of sacred places where yep. people behaved differently, right? When you went to yep. the hospital, you were going there to be cared for. It wasn't a place where, again, you would expect to see or experience 
those kind of things, um, right. whereby th that that kind of um, shroud of you know doesn't exist anymore. Right. If we're if we're shooting children in school, <laughs> then uh, why you know why should an ER be safe, right? Um, okay. So so tell me about the program. So after you've gathered the data. You and your, uh, I think it was director of security, uh, you know, kind of put your heads together and came up with a program. Yeah. So I, you know, when I when it started to started to dawn on me that you know this was probably something we needed to take a better look at, um, it became clear to me very quickly because you know I learned a lot in terms of talking to our our uh, safety and security folks as well in terms of their approach to all of this. Um, so I reached out to, to the gentleman who was very new to our organization at the time and had just started um, to sort of sit with him around this topic and, and, and convey to him sort of where I was coming from and ask him to partner with me uh, in terms of really taking a more critical look and really trying to come to some understanding as to what were the what were the driving factors, what was causing this, what were the things that we were potentially already doing, and was that helping? And if so, how could we start to, to talk about that more? And then what were the, our opportunities in terms of maybe looking at this issue a little bit differently than we had in the past? Um, and you know, to my to my great um, you know, happiness and, and, and gratitude, he was in, incredibly responsive and embraced this from the very beginning and completely and fully partnered with me on this. Um, so we literally sat down and, you know, we started to look at, you know, what we knew about our, our own current information and then, you know, looked out to the literature. And, you know, I think what was nice for me as a nurse working with him was, you know, I knew to go to the nursing literature and the OSHA, like workplace safety literature. Uh, but there was a whole body of safety and security literature that I frankly wouldn't have occurred to me that it existed or to look at that he thought, thought about and went to and to his professional organizations as well as, as mine. Uh, and then, you know, we came back together to kind of put together, you know, our, our plan and how we were going to, um, take a look at and do a risk, our own internal risk assessment. Uh, and really what we did was we sort of just took that information and decided, you know, our best course of action at that point was to, you know, what were the programs we had in place? And we had a, we had a de-escalation program that we used okay. um, at the already, time. That had so already we, been in existence? Like um, we had some policies about it, but they weren't, you know, they weren't anything really compelling or... Um, you know, effective. Um, so we decided what we should probably do is just kind of go on the road. And um, we set up, you know, probably it was weeks worth of folk, just what we were calling focus groups. And they were very informal. Uh, we would let the department know we were coming. We went, um, you know, on the day shift, on the night shift, on the weekends. You know, we made sure that we tried to hit every, every sort of um, opportunity where someone um, you know, would be willing to talk to us about this and, and just really started to just sit down with people. And we had some basic questions, but mostly we asked them, um, you know, what is your experience with, with violence in the workplace and how has it affected you and what do you think will help? 
Um, you know, I mean, that was really the gist of, of our assessment tool. Uh, and it was incredibly enlightening. And I think what we, one of the things that we learned very quickly was that even though people weren't reporting it, yeah. once we were coming, you know, respective of our positions, um, they were willing to talk to us and tell us. So, you know, we talked to everybody from, you know, the obvious folks like the caregivers we've talked about in the emergency departments and, um, you know, on the units. Uh, but we also talked to people like the valet parkers um, and the people in uh, registration uh, and those who sat at reception desks and, you know, anywhere where people were encountering sort of the public or our patients uh, and could potentially have interactions that would inform us as to um, what was driving our problem. And it was incredibly enlightening. Um, and what we did was we, we sort of cataloged all of our interviews and then we went through and um, did our work plan based on that. And, and we broke things down into a couple of um, categories. So we, we broke one thing down into just environmental things. So okay. what were the things in our environment, whether it was, you know, the terminology that we used on signage, you know, was it very directive and maybe aggressive, um, to how things were laid out? Did we sort of squish people into environments where when you squish people in, it's going to agitate them? Um, to our panic alarms and our lighting, uh, et cetera. Um, we did a, the second category is our policies and procedures. So what were all the things that we had in place from a formal perspective in that, that space? Uh, we looked at all our technology and equipment. So uh, what were we using um, in, in, in terms of safety? What, again, whether that was cameras, um, okay. whether that was panic alarms and if we had them, where were they and who did they, who did they alert and what was the process for that person to be alerted. Um, and then lastly, um, and we broke this one out a little bit around two things, communication. So how were things communicated? How did we identify people who maybe were um, escalating? Um, and then how did we communicate that amongst caregivers and then people? So how did we train? How did we educate? How did we make sure that all of our employees um, had a sense of this topic and, um, you know, what were we going to do around it? Wow. Um, so we really, you know, needless to say, that's, we found a lot of things and we found a lot of things that we could impact. And, you know, I think a lot of times when people start to go down these roads, you know, frequently where we land, especially in hospitals, and I think maybe even more so in nursing, as we say, oh, we're just going to provide this new educational program to people, and that's going to um, right. address the issue. Right. And it's an it. absolute and important component, but it's not comprehensive enough, and, and we found that very quickly. So, you know, we looked at all our policies, everything from our restraint policies, um, how did we manage one-to-ones when people were on one-to-ones? Okay. Uh, how did we manage our various spaces? Uh, did we have a workplace violence and safety policy that was specific to that, which we didn't really? Uh, how do you manage people who are disruptive? Uh, we, where our hospitals sit, we get lots of patients from the prisons because um, there's several prisons down on state roads. So how did we manage uh, both the prisoners as well as the officers that were with them because they have weapons? Wow. Um, and were, did we have really tight processes around that? Uh, we looked at our security cameras. How did we communicate with law enforcement? So when law enforcement would bring patients to us, 
Did we have a very structured way of communicating with them? How could people enter and exit our buildings? Were they secure? Uh, did we have metal, metal detectors or not? And at that time, we did not have them at all of our entrances at, in them, the ERs. Panic buttons. Um, do, do you have them now? We do. Okay. As, as a result of this program? Yes. Yeah. So we put, as part of our plan, we, um, um, we put that in that we wanted to have metal detectors at the, at the front of the entrances to the ERs. Wow. So, I mean, it, this sounds like a very thoughtful uh, and, and well-designed program, pretty comprehensive. How, how long did it take you to do all this work? It took us quite a long time. You know, there were some things that we could do quickly, right? You know, we could, you know, we, like I said, the, the focus groups took us, you know, probably six to eight weeks to just conduct them. But we really felt that it was important um, to, to hear directly from the people who were experiencing it right. uh, in order to inform where we went. You know, because you could, you could make a lot of assumptions, right? You could make an assumption that, well, if you just put in a metal, metal detector, you know, that's going to solve X percent of your issues. And yes, it's a really important component, but just to put a metal detector in isn't going to make your workplace safe. Right. Uh, it, it's going to help you um, not have weapons come through your door that maybe are coming through now, but it's, it's not going to give you that comprehensive um, really look into what's causing every every bit of violence that you're seeing in your workplace. So we really were very deliberate, and it took us it took us probably the better part of two years to really get through everything. I mean, as you can imagine, there was capital capital monies that we right. needed to sure. you know make a pitch for and and um, you know actually get. And you know, it's never easy to install anything in a hospital between. <laughs> You know, needing to do inspections and talk right. to the Department of Health, and you know, it's right. they're all very, very time-consuming. But I think once we had a really clear blueprint yeah. and we took it to our senior most leadership and we got buy-in really quickly, um, that 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 piece of it kind of um, fell away, and and that's where a lot of people get, you know, where they hit a roadblock. Uh, it's hard to get past that. Okay. Um, I think because we did really have good data and we had um, a really comprehensive risk assessment of what was causing it, that it gave us a level of credibility when we went to the people that we needed to go to for um, whether that was money or permission or, you know, policy changes or right. changing how some, you know, we changed some of what security, how they approached their jobs. Okay. Um, so that's not simple, right? They had, you know, at the time, the, the previous security director had kind of a hands-off um, policy. So that, that was problematic, needless to say. And that sounds really silly to say, but it, what we found was that that wasn't really uncommon in some places. Mm. Um, you know, we didn't really have um, a sense of team around how you respond to these things. People responded, but it wasn't in a thoughtful and structured way. Um, so once we kind of looked at that and really put the appropriate training in, we changed up uh, the training and the accountability so that there really was a team uh, that was responding and um, the, the, the level of support um, or perception of support really, because we didn't necessarily add a team or create a new, new team. It was sort of we reconfigured the roles of people when they responded. Uh, and then really just talked about things like, you know, we heard a lot of themes around, um, 
you know, internally people disrespecting one another just amongst the team that, that at least the perception of uh, or futility, like things didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter what you did or it didn't matter what you said and helplessness and, um, you know, obviously some anger around it. But once we sort of identified what those emotions were and what the drivers of those were, yeah. then we could start to address the things that were causing it. And w once you name it and you start to think about it that way, you can start to chip away at the causes. And, and and as a result of this program now in 2021, do you feel that your nurses are safer? I think for sure um, they're safer than they were at the time when we started the program. I think um, interestingly enough, and I, you know, it was it was one of the things that really uh, kind of struck me when when you asked us if we could talk about this. Um, I just recently um, met with our uh, the, the person who I had done this project with to say, you know, I think that we need to kind of go back out on the road again. I think it's time for us to refresh kind of what's going on and um, what are our areas of opportunity because um, things have changed since then. You know, uh, we were a freestanding organization when we did this. You know, we didn't have the, the resources that uh, working with an organization like Jefferson comes to bear. Uh, we're uh, on the cusp of um, um, disseminating a, t a wearable technology that all of our clinical staff will wear. It's called Strongline, and it was it's it's um, it's a, it's a Jefferson technology Je Jefferson developed technology that's in place. It's been implemented at the University Hospital and in New Jersey, and we're about to implement it here in the next several weeks, okay. um, which is a game changer. So it, there's sort of a, it's a perfect time for us to kind of um, put fresh eyes to this issue and uh, look at what we probably should be doing differently. Um, so we are, we have literally just embarked upon that in the last couple of weeks. That's great. And uh, so tell me, l let me just switch off for you way back when, uh, have, have you, when you were in the clinical setting, were you ever a victim of workplace violence? I was, and I think I was probably kind of that quintessential person that I described at the top. I kind of, you know, I, you know, I became a nurse when I was 20 years old and, right. you know, I knew what I knew about my work experience and, um, you know, I certainly saw violence in my work environments. It was usually pretty well um, contained and well addressed, but I did view it as just part of my job and that it just went along with the territory. And I'm sure I was very guilty of not reporting things that I should have reported. Mm -hmm. um, not, not, you know, willfully, but just didn't, it didn't probably occur to me. But I mean, I have been certainly verbally assaulted right. um, on more occasions than anybody <laughs> and not, um, and probably not should be. <laughs> and not um, just my patients, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> For the sake of this conversation, yes. Um, you know, so that, and again, didn't really think too much of it, even when it was hurtful or it, you know, caused me to feel a certain way. I don't know that I really thought, well, this shouldn't happen or this should happen less or there's something that I or someone else should do about it. Right. Uh, but had also been cer certainly physically assaulted, you know, when you're, whenever you're, you know, when you think about what nursing care looks like and just the practice of nursing, it's incredibly intimate. So you are, 
you know, sometimes in very close contact to people um, physically and even the emotional part of it, you're talking with people about things that, you know, sometimes they don't talk about with their closest loved ones. Um, And that intimacy, I think, allows, um, or not allows, but sort of opens the door um, to then that level of um, aggressiveness. So, you know, I've certainly been punched and bitten and had I had a patient who um, at one point had sort of grabbed me by the hair and wouldn't let go and pulled me, you know, down. Um, now, in all those circumstances, none, none of them was I alone. Um, so there was always the team of people that I worked with who responded and, you know, we we kind of kicked into that team response. So, um, and certainly witnessed, you know, just as many accounts of that happening to other people. Right. Yeah. I mean, I working in critical care uh, and in long-term care, certainly I, it's never been physical abuse that I've experienced, but I've certainly um, been my, had my share of verbal <laughs> abuse. <laughs> right. I mean, I think you, I, I don't think you could find a nurse, frankly, I, you know, that could say, <laughs> no, no one has ever called me a right. mean name, you know, <laughs> or, right or been particularly, and and some vicious, you know, I mean, you know, people can be incredibly verbally vicious. Um, And that's hard, right? I mean, you have to continue to work professionally, you have to continue to care for that person, because you're their nurse. So you can't just be like, you know, we're not going to, you can't buy a cake here, you know, please leave my bakery, because you're acting, you know, the way you're acting. So it's a different setting. And I think, you know, we've learned to behave differently, probably not in a good way. And, um, you know, I think in some ways we've conveyed to the public that there, it's okay to do that. Um, so I think as we, as a profession, to start to say and draw, you know, sort of draw that boundary that, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's realistic to say it would never happen, right. but I think it's realistic to say that anytime it happens, it's not okay. Right. And that there's something we can do to either intervene or mitigate. Um, and I so, think that's just a paradigm shift for us uh, in healthcare. So, Michelle, this is what, you know, the theme here. We often ask our nurses who are on the podcast, uh, what one thing, so I'm going to ask you, what one thing would you like to share with maybe nurses who are listening uh, and then secondly, with patients who are listening about workplace violence? Um, oh, that's a great question. Um, and it's really hard to answer. I think um, the the one thing I would say, and I don't know if this is probably the most effective, but I, the thing that pops to my mind right away is that I think um, – just a general sense of um, human respect and kindness um, can can take a lot of uh, what people encounter out of the out of the situation okay. uh, and if we can get ourselves to a point where we're all looking at each other as um, you know, fallible human beings who are in a situation for a reason. So whether you're a patient and you're terrified and 
you know, in an emergency room because of whatever you're experiencing, or you're a nurse who um, is in a situation that could be equally as terrifying for other reasons, depending on how a patient is behaving, um, that we're all here for a reason and that if we focus on that, um, you know, we can get the patient better or cared for and we can do it in a way whereby a nurse or a caregiver can walk away from it feeling like they did their job uh, and didn't have to encounter anything adverse like violence in their workplace. Well, that is a wonderful piece of advice. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Really? It's probably not the most pertinent, you know, there, there's probably a better answer to that question no, for this I, I think topic. And there's probably other things that we can and should be doing as well. Like I said before, I think there's there's so many pieces to it, it's hard to encapsulate it into one, but I think one of the things that we've definitely seen uh, in this work is that there has been a degradation of that on all sides, and if, if we can all kind of get back to a place where, you know, a hospital is a place where someone comes for help and there are people there who are there to help them, right. um, that's a really good start. Yeah, I, I think uh, being kind, uh being kind, being nice, you know, being civil is certainly a good place to start. And we can yeah. deal with the policies and procedures later. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so thank you very much for taking time. I, I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I think that our listeners will as well. Uh, take care. Keep, keep up the good work. Thank you, Betty. And thanks for having me today. I think it's really, uh, you know, I challenge all your listeners to, to go out and thank a nurse for what they're doing. Uh, Wait, good, good advice, Michelle, as always. Right, thank you, care. and thank you for having me. All right, take care. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardiannurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardiannurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care. <laughs>